You're listening to the Brooklyn USA podcast, an occasional audio love letter from Brooklyn to the world. Last month, Brick unveiled Latin X Abstract, a new exhibition highlighting the work of 10 contemporary artists. Here's show curator Elizabeth Ferrer. In presenting this cross-generational survey of 10 artists, the exhibition challenges the established narrative of abstract art in the United States, one that has long privileged certain voices over others and that has essentially excluded the contributions of Latinx artists. The reason specifically that we use Latinx in the title, it's a gender neutral term. And so it's more encompassing of people that don't define themselves by a certain kind of gender binary. For me, it sort of puts that positive stamp on who we are. And it's a term that, you know, it came from our community. And so I see it as forward looking and I see it as a term that is important because even though it represents a diversity of people, you know, we come from many countries, what we do have in common is that our histories and culture have been erased. And for me, Latinx is a very assertive term that aims to insert our history our ideas, our values into the American landscape in the same way that I want to insert Latinx abstract art into the narrative on American abstraction more broadly. Latinx abstract is on view at Brick House in downtown Brooklyn through May 2nd. This week, we're going on an audio tour of the gallery bringing you work and interviews from artists featured in the show and beyond. So turn up your headphones and follow us into a world full of endless abstractions. We'll let you be in our dreams, if we can be in yours, in Brooklyn, USA. Red Hook-based artist Sarah Zapata uses innovative textile creations to create the different identities she holds. Her contribution to the Latin X Abstract Show uses historical references to contemplate utopian futures that we can strive towards in the present. Here's Sarah Zapata. Abstraction is really, um, it, for me, it's so much about fantasy and, and fantasy within this way of reimagining one's circumstances. I think that it's important to really use these like ubiquitous and very easily attainable materials to create these like very large sort of fantastical works as a way, again, to talk about working with one's circumstance to create a different sort of reality through your mind, through creativity, through research. And so I think abstraction is, again, a way to exist within the sort of in-between space. And I'm really interested in existing on different planes of time or culture or materials even. 
I think when I was younger, I felt a really uh, strong connection to making things, and it was a way to sort of change my trajectory and sort of change my experience of being somewhere that I was unhappy, but being able to control how I interacted through the world. And working within sort of a very traditional medium was a way also for me to express my Latinidad and my Peruvianness. Textiles are such a really important part of that culture, but they also are a really important part to the United States, and so it was a way for me to really exist in both worlds, but also uh, be me. My father is from Piura, which is like a small northern coastal town in Peru. And my grandfather was a textile salesman there. So again, I think it was a way where I felt like I could participate within my history, but also be really in control of that narrative. And textiles really are such a rich medium. And I like to think of them as a process and as a material. So though I make these textiles, they're continuing to transform into something else. It's like, basically like impossible to divorce textiles from the body. So I like to really see how I can reference the body in sort of different ways. So symbolism is also how I reference the body in sort of like these shapes, particularly the sculptures that are on view as part of the show. Those are modeled after the Paracas mummy bundles. The Paracas were this pre-Columbian civilization that were in southern Peru, and they had this incredible burial practice where they would place the body into the natal position to create this idea of leaving and entering the world in the same way and then wrap and wrap and wrap the body in textiles and place them in these baskets. And so these sculptures are made directly in reference to those. So they sort of look like these strange beings almost. For me, it's again, I think it's existing within all these different spaces. I think it's a way to sort of exist within these different cultures. And also it's a way sort of to understand tradition, but though like practice within um, untraditional ways. And so I think for me, it's, it's about labor. It's like all of, all of these sort of factors existing into my identity and how that can sort of create these like new imagined senses of time, especially as like a queer Latinx person. Like I'm always thinking about Jose Esteban Munoz and his incredible texts, but especially thinking about as queer people, specifically Latinx queer people, we're sort of always trying to think in futurity and create these sort of imagined time because that's our job as queer people is to like push things forward. And so I think um, a lot of these identities, that's what we're always trying to imagine is a better world, a better community for us through our work and creating these like communal spaces.
I like to have with the work an aspect of Peruvian culture as well as sort of American Christian evangelical culture as well and how that speaks to my experience but rather than it just being about me it's it's a testament to larger societal constructs. So like specifically, for example, with the work that was commissioned for the Latinx Abstract Show, that uh, is in reference to arpieras, which were made in Peru and Chile. And they're sort of these like quilted narrative pieces that were made during guerrilla occupation and made sort of just with old clothes or different textiles that people had around and were able to sort of create these really beautiful, really interesting sort of narrative pieces. And so in contrast, the piece is also covered in stripes and so stripes have been something that has been constantly used within my work because there is biblical text that talks about how one should not wear striped cloth. So there's two interpretations of it, that it's a textile that's made of two different materials or that's one literally like a background and foreground on a cloth. It was considered untrustworthy and so basically from the medieval period onwards, stripes were used to delineate people who are on the fringe of society, jesters, poor people, prostitutes and from that lineage actually we get the prison stripe as well as the American flag and so stripes have again as this sort of untrustworthy cloth it's become something glorifying those who perhaps feel as like a, an outsider an outlier of society So there's always sort of these like two elements within the work. Again, with the Paracas mummy bundles, the sculptures that are here on the interior of each sculpture is like an unseen element. It's a curved cross that's made out of steel. There's biblical text that talks about how a curved cross is one, the mark of the beast. In Revelation, it talks about how the Antichrist will show up with a curved cross as sort of a mark of the beast. But there's also this interpretation that a curved cross represents the humility of Christ. And so I like a lot of these sort of like dichotomies that exist and strange elements that exist within these symbologies. It's a lot of different elements of sort of different uh, textile techniques. There's always an element of hand weaving. That's the most important part of my work. And even the new work that's here at Brick right now is just weaving, which I feel like I've actually never done. So that feels really exciting and sort of to turn over a new leaf. Especially after COVID, I don't really know how my work is going to function. There was a strong element of like people being able to touch the work and that's, I feel like, not gonna be able to be possible anymore. So I'm excited to see how things really change. What specifically for this work I'm interested in, the viewer taking away is sort of like celebrating the in-between space, whatever that means, or understanding like it's okay to exist within a lot of different planes. And I think that that's something that's very important, especially when, you know, we're always sort of interested in defining ourselves or defining what we need. And it's important also to be existing in the like, the in-between. And so I think even if, if it's just sort of that celebration, that's really important, or just seeing like the craft work in a different capacity and how that can lead Someone to think about their circumstances in a different capacity, like that's obviously very important.
Do you mind turning it back on when you have a second? I'm going to describe Carlos I'm going to describe Glendale's My name is Maria Chavez. I'm a sound artist, abstract turntablist, and DJ based here in New York City, originally from Lima, Peru. The past 18 years of my career have been focused on creating large-scale, multi-channel sound installations that either have a focus on field recording of different environments that I've had to participate in, or it's been a site-specific installation where the people that have invited me have asked me specifically to make something for that space, which makes the piece site-specific. I didn't want to just provide a pre-made sound piece for an exhibition like this because this exhibition is so important and so unique because it's highlighting the past work of these artists from Spanish-speaking countries that had been overlooked and, and so I wanted to be able to create something site-specific for the exhibition itself and for Brick itself. I invited people to record 30-second to one-minute descriptions of the paintings that they liked from the show and if they spoke in English, then I, I asked them to record in English. And if they spoke in Spanish, then I asked them to record in Spanish. And then I decided to just have a very simple sound installation with two speakers, one speaker emitting English and one speaker emitting Spanish, and compiling everyone's descriptions into one big, chunky sound block. Uh, so that when you sat next to the speakers, all you could hear was this density of descriptions of different paintings that you just walked through. Being a Latinx artist is complicated because some people like the word and some people don't. Um, I personally am not bothered by it one way or another. We have a right to be here and socially, if I was going to an art museum with my school and I kept seeing all of these white European names, but suddenly I saw a name that looked like mine and it was in a museum with all of these other white European names, it, it opens their minds to the fact that they can be here too. They can do this too.
Karen Miranda Rivadenera is a Brick Lab contemporary art resident and photographer with an interest in dreams and oral histories. As part of her project, Karen has been creating mixed media photographs from a series based on aesthetic postures. She's collaborated with native communities and relatives to create photo-based projects in the Ecuadorian Amazon, the Andean Mountains, and more recently in the American Southwest. Here's Karen. The history of photography, it is full of holes and full of colonialism bias and experimentation with bodies and, and subjugation. Karen Miranda Rodeneira. I also go by Coyo. I am an artist, a curandera, a healer, a mentor, an educator. My practice revolves around geopolitics, memory, storytelling, and a relationship to the land. The way that I'm thinking about photography, it's twofold. One, as a subjective, subversive act, as me being the subject matter and also being the creator of the work and also reflecting my own relationship to the land. And the other part of that is also the rapid spread of images and the way that our mind is constantly creating meaning by creating photographs in our mind. So we keep things in our mind, we close our eyes and we see the whole picture literally. And then like, we, we, we identify meaning, we identify emotions, we identify people. So I'm also playing with this idea of things that are extremely intimate and done for the first time. And also because of the medium, it can be so quickly consumed and it could be also so quickly digested. I am born in New York City and I grew up in Ecuador. My parents, we moved to Ecuador when I was about two years old. Currently, because of COVID, I've been, I've been working on this long-term project called Tepipe Chinche and they haven't been able to go back to Ecuador. I've actually moved to unceded Moonsle lands, upstate New York. Being here, I've been really walking a lot and thinking a lot about this land and my relationship to land. As I was walking, I've been thinking a lot about um, how to salute, how to introduce myself to a new landscape. As someone who carries a colonial wound, I'm also thinking about what is a colonial wound that this place carries and how can we soothe one another. After a while, as I began to do more research on the Hudson Valley, Ulster County, I live near the Minnewaska Preserve. So reading about it, how it was acquired, who were the people that lived, the stewards of that of this first land, I decided to start recording my greetings, my my salutations to the to the land, and because they're very short, they just like just like when you introduce yourself to someone, you just said hi, my name is. I try to keep that format of, of, um, of a very brief introduction. So the videos are very brief, like a minute to maybe three minutes top. 
and as I was having this amount of videos, that's how that's when I started thinking about the creation of them as a as a combination of the same iconographies that I'm writing on the land. I'm thinking about how while I'm walking in the landscape, that which I touch also touches me. That which I see also sees me. That which I hear, like the birds, they're also hearing me. So this constant sensuous experience between my body and 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 the and, and, and the land and all the bodies that are in the land. Just feeling almost naked and feeling like, wow, vultures are looking at me, the birds are listening to me, the, uh, the trees are feeling my presence, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm not this entity that is taking in all, all this other all landscape, but I am this entity that the landscape is taking in. The concept of Cheje. It's a concept that I learned from um, Silvia Rivera Cusicanqui. And Cheje is the mix of two forms that are that are not related but that can complement each other. It's the the explosive force of contradiction between an indigenous ancestry and a European one. How you can live between two worlds without feeling that your soul is divided. So I've really been thinking about Cheje in terms of, you know, as a, as a woman of indigenous ancestry, mestiza, and like how other, other ways can we speak of, of, our, of ourselves without the ways that have been imposed into us. I also wanted to be able to extend the this project and this concept not just to someone who comes from South America or someone who is indigenous, but also to every single person, uh, European or someone from Africa, someone from Asia, from Australia, from like all the different continents and all the different places. Glendalise Medina works with handmade paper, thread, nails, string, LED lights, marker, and spray paint through a process of imitating and abstracting forms from both traditional and contemporary pop culture. She creates a visual language all her own. Here's Glendalise Medina. For me, when I think about abstraction, I just think about like freedom. It allows me to reference a circle, but that circle could also mean the lens camera. It could mean an eye. It could mean a bicycle. So for me, it creates an immense amount of freedom that I ordinarily do not have in my life. I can create imaginary worlds and I can live in them if I want to, but I'm stuck in this body and I'm stuck in, you know, in this society, in this world. And abstraction, I'm not stuck anywhere. My name is Glendalise Medina and I'm a conceptual interdisciplinary artist. 
I grew up in the Bronx. I was born in Puerto Rico. I grew up in the Bronx. I'm not that old, but I'm not that young. <laughs> My siblings are 15 and 13 years older than I am. If they went to a block party or jam in the park, they had to take us. That was the rule. It wasn't a big deal then, you know? It was just like hanging around in the, in the block. The whole culture, which is called hip hop, started in the West Bronx by a DJ by the name of Cool DJ Earth. Then it came across to the South and Southeast Bronx, drew myself after Bambada. But now it has gone from the Bronx to Manhattan, all across America is now internationally known hip hop. I went tagging around. I have this video of me like tagging around even as a small kid, I used to write the words nena because that's what my family calls me. They call me nena, which translates to little girl, right? So it's always been there and I've always thought of myself as an artist. My, my family has always encouraged that. It's hard for me to answer what does it mean to be a Latinx artist because that means that I would have to accept that term and identify with that term. My whole practice is about eliminating terms. I have trouble with the word Latin and how that's used to like categorize a whole people. I don't go around saying I'm Latin, I go around saying I'm Puerto Rican, or I go around saying I'm New Rican, or I go around saying I'm Afro-Caribbean, or I go around saying I'm Caribbean, or I'm American. When you say you're from the Bronx, people are like, ugh, you know, you're from the Bronx, you know? But these are the things that I'm proud of. I'm proud of that hip hop came out from the Bronx, and I'm, I'm proud of like, indigenous New Yorkian culture. And Tayyad and this whole kind of like uh, political movement and the, the young lords and you know like all these things that come out of New Yorkian history. My mother never called us New Yorkians. You know my mother always said we're Puerto Ricans. When I got older, I got into college, <laughs> I realized I was black. <laughs> And then I went to Puerto Rico around the same time, I was like 20, and Puerto Ricans there were like, you're not Puerto Rican, you're New Rican. N-U-Y-O-R-I-C-A-N. That word is the establishment of our history. Being New Rican for me means that you grew up around English speakers. It means that you probably grew up around African-Americans. You probably grew up in Brooklyn or the Bronx or Philadelphia. But being the Rican, it feels like, it feels like nobody wants you. It feels like the Puerto Ricans don't want you, they grew up on the island. It feels like America doesn't want you. Sometimes it feels like black culture doesn't want you, you know, because you're, you're too light or you're Spanish, you know? So it's like, you're never good enough to be Spanish and you're not good enough to be like American. I integrate being New Yorkian in my practice by using craft. You know, I grew up looking at string art that my uncle made in my house. I don't really think about the modernistic canon when I make my work. I look at African mass. Like, I'm not looking at, um, I don't know, pick a modernist, <laughs> you know? I'm not, I'm not really looking at that work and, and trying to communicate with that work. I'm trying to communicate with other work that people don't even know exist. I use Taino imagery and the symbols that the Tainos use to expose that to the world because they were eradicated. Taino Genocide Day. The day when Christopher Columbus began to wipe out an entire indigenous population in a way that would even make Pol Pot blush. There's no history specifically telling me this symbol means the sun or this symbol means the owl. 
These are all interpretations. So it gives me a lot of flexibility to redefine all of these symbols and use them as I want to use them to tell a story. The work for the show are two pieces, but they're from a series of 10 pieces I'm potentially making, hopefully by the end of 2022. For me, material is really, really important. So sometimes my sculptural pieces are made out of sugar, or sometimes my sculptural pieces are made out of plexiglass, or sometimes it's wood. I started using nails and string, mainly because people really love that work. They're like, oh my God, I really love your nails and string work. And I'm like, yes, it's very labor intensive. So I had stopped making it because it physically hurts when I make it. But for this work, I was really interested in, in incorporating the nails again in an abstract way, in a way that I hadn't done before. The idea came from, there's this story, this oral history, that the Taino Indians believed that the owl was the first witness to life. And so I decided, oh, I want to make an owl. I wanted them to be in relationship to one another. So if the sun was the day and the owl was the night, they can kind of correlate with one another, this kind of story that nobody really needs to know about the story. But that's the way I was thinking about it in my mind, that these two related to one another. They needed to witness one another to exist. And since most of the history of the Taino Indians are eradicated, I figured, oh, I can make my own history. I can create my own story if I want to. I'm trying to expose not only Puerto Rican culture, but how that manifested and changed and evolved by immigrating here, you know, by the migration that came here in the 1940s and 60s. There's how many millions of New Ricans in America that are not represented in our world or in the world generally. I mean, some people don't even know we're part of America. So I'm trying to integrate that and honor all these aspects of myself because, you know, I do have African heritage, I do have indigenous heritage, I am, I do have Puerto Rican culture, but I'm also like, you know, Puerto Rican from the Bronx, you know? <laughs>
the character was retired. To me, this shows that making fun of a culture is rude and mean. You should not do it to sell chips or for any reason at all. I think this is a lesson for all of us. Thank you for listening, Brooklyn. Brooklyn USA is produced by me, Karel Palmer. And me, Emily Bogosian. And me, Shirin Barri. And me, Charlie Hoxie. And me, Mayimi Sato. With help this week from Brick Radio Junior correspondent, Griff City, Taylor Cook, Lauren Germain, Keisha Elon Cole, Kai Youngblood, Christian Ovando, Elizabeth Ferrer, Jenny Giroux, Sol Nova, and Steve DeSutter. Keep an eye out for video versions of these artists' interviews on Brick TV's YouTube page. We'll post those links in the show notes. If you want to tell us a story or somehow end up on our podcast, check the show notes for a link to our guide on recording a voice member on your mobile phone and sending it to us on the internet. If you like what you hear or think we missed something, comment, like, share, and subscribe. And follow Break TV on Twitter and Instagram for updates. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit us at brickartsmedia.org slash radio. If I wasn't doing art, I would probably be like an investment banker. I know that sounds, let's, let's actually, let's not put that out there. Hold on a second. <laughs> oh, man.